Welcome to day five of the 12 days of podcasts. This series of 12 perfect episodes is brought to you by the good people at Def Jam. It's December and nothing is colder than Jeezy's new album, Pressure. We once were asked by MTV to do a funny interview with Jeezy and we asked him how to build a snowman. He said, from the ground up. And we thought, huh, that's not a very funny answer. Until much later when we were both like, oh, that's actually a very smart answer. Maybe Jeezy does have a very good sense of humor. Anyway, I really like Jeezy's album, and I hope you do too. Go to jeezyshop.com to listen to Pressure, buy some merch, and maybe, for the first time, wonder, maybe Jeezy is much funnier than you would expect. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Day five of the 12 Days of Podcast, our favorite stupid annual treats that we give to our fans. How are we doing? Pretty good, I think. Are we, we, are we going to make it? We are going to make it because the math is on our side. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holla back. <laughs> Shouts to John Brown out in Brooklyn. So, guys, the biggest news this week is that we are returning to New York. Yes, we live in New York, but we are returning to the stage in New York City. You asked for it. We deliver on January. January 10th, 2018, Jeff, we're going to be at SOBs doing a live podcast. I'm putting it in the calendar right now. We're talking comedy, music, storytelling. It's an event you do not want to miss. If you went to our Highline show, you know what it is. If you went to our SOBs show, you know what it is. If you're out in LA and you went to our show out there, you know what that is. And if you're out in London and you saw our show with DJ Semtex, then fly over. That's, that's it. Just fly over and tell us that you know what it is. On January 10th, 2018, we're back at SOB's on stage. Get your tickets right now at itstherial.com. Now, we're not going to say that we're going to reunite Rockefeller Records again. Why would we say that? We're, we're not saying anything. We're definitely not going to say that we are celebrating Rockefeller Records again. That's not what we're doing on January 10th. But but if you want to show up with that in mind, yeah. we're not going to tell you that you shouldn't dream those dreams. Everybody should have an active imagination as to what this show is going to be. So listen, January 10th, 2018, in mere weeks, yeah, at SOB's here in New York City, we will be on stage, and maybe... Maybe Jay-Z will be there. We can neither confirm nor deny. No, we are keeping our options open. <laughs> Jay-Z might be there. Jay-Z listens to this podcast. Jay, if you want to come through... We will not stop no, I mean, like, listen, Jay's got a lot of things going on. One of those things might be coming to SOBs on January 10th. Do you know what he's doing on January 10th? I'm not saying on the podcast, but okay. I'm also not not saying. Listen, guys, itstherial.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com is where you can go get your tickets. Get one for Jay. Buy yeah. one for yourself and one for Jay-Z. Consider it a Christmas present. And we'll see you in January on stage at SOBs. Jeff. Yes. Who's on the podcast today? Today we have Fafu. Fafu, our friend who works over at Translation, which is Steve Stout's company, but... But... He has such a deep history in music, and we're talking music production, we're talking DJing, we're talking directing music videos, we're talking bidding wars. He worked with Puffy, he worked with Prince, he worked with the Blue Man Group. Uh, that That is a crazy story. Yeah, one thing I, I wanted to ask him, but I didn't, is if he ever started some shit with the Stomp guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah, the conversation just moved too quickly for me to ask that question, but should I was we, going to ask. Should we have him back up here? We're, I mean, we should have him back up here because you 
would be surprised how much stuff we cover and yet how much stuff there is left to cover. It's a great episode. Jeff, we like these particular episodes, like the David Cho one, like the Jenna Luckman one, like the Waz and Nod ones. Friends of ours in real life that we can put onto this platform and maybe our audience isn't so aware of them. It's not like, for example, uh, what's his name? Jay-Z. Jay-Z, the guy who's going to be at our SOB show. Or- well, well, I- Maybe at our maybe SOB show. we don't want to tip our hand. That's right. Yeah, but but these episodes are great because everybody has a great story to tell. Fafu has a tremendous story to tell, and we're happy that you guys have the time to listen to this great episode. So, Jeff, yes, when do you want to get into it? Right after I say that, OT Genesis will be on the podcast tomorrow. Okay, yeah. So when, Jeff? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, aka Money Moves, aka Catch Me If You Can. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, aka Ten Toes Down, aka Bad Lawnmower Accident. <laughs> What up, it's Fat Food, a.k.a. Mr. Beats Back. <laughs> yeah, this is a waste of time, this is the real. Fat Food, welcome back to the Upper West Side for your official full episode because after Prince passed away, as people may recall, we had you up here to talk about Paisley Park and your experiences in Minnesota, and we got a good like half hour from you, and... We've known you longer than that, clearly, and we know a lot more of your story, but there's so much more to dive into, including the fact that you sent us an email with some things that you just like thought of one day. Yeah, some highlights. And they are- <laughs> That was my publicist. Incredible. They're absolutely incredible. It includes the line, moved back east to work with Blue Man Group. <laughs> yeah. Which, which, by the way, you that said happened. fell apart because you had to go work with Randy Jackson from American Idol. No. Well, the, the Blue Man Group thing <laughs> fell apart because a pipe burst in their, in their storage space, which is where they had their studio set Wait, up. Wait, one of their pipes? No, not they, they play the pipes. Thing. Right. Yeah. No, not one of those. Like a water pipe. Yeah. And it flooded the studio that we'd been building and then all of a sudden that was just kind of derailed. Well, let's That's a good place to start. Well, no, I I do want to start at the very beginning. Where are you originally from? I'm from York, Pennsylvania. And what is York, Pennsylvania like? Rust Belt like It's a, an industrial town that kind of a lot of the industry moved away. Um hardly... How much like Flashdance was it? I don't know if I've ever seen Flash. Have you seen Deer Hunter? Yes. Uh, how much was like, like Deer, Deer Hunter? Hunter? <laughs> Not the Vietnam part. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of. I think so. But yeah, uh, Harley Davidson is based out there. No, they're. I think they're originally from Milwaukee or something. Right. But they have a factory there where they put together bikes. So and that York was the Peppermint big... Patties were oh, there. Oh sure. Yeah. York Barbell, York Air Conditioning. And what did your folks do? Uh, my dad worked in. Um, my dad worked in hydroelectric turbines. Whoa. Yeah. Does right. that mean that you then like had an idea of what that all entailed? No. He <laughs> never told me anything about it, to be honest. Was that the peppermint patty uh, plant? <laughs> yes. Or was that... Okay, yeah. They had a waterfall, <laughs> yeah. and they wanted to try to you know, make sure. some money off the yeah. water. What are your thoughts on uh, chocolate and mint together? Great. <laughs> the only time I really like dark chocolate is in that peppermint patty. Really? Oh, here it comes. Oh, I'm a huge dark chocolate fan. I don't. Even, yeah, talk about it, guys. I don't even fuck guy? with milk chocolate. I, I, uh, I fuck with dark chocolate. I, I'll eat milk chocolate. I'll eat white chocolate. Just any chocolate. Any <laughs> chocolate you put in front of me, I'll eat it. I like dark chocolate, but I definitely prefer the milk. Company town, clearly, like different. Yeah. Uh, do a lot of people just stay there and not leave? Yes. Well, actually. Let me say this. All of my close friends in high school, everybody left. But a lot of people stayed. Did everyone go to college? Or did everyone just like get out of town? I think, yeah. I think the ones that left 
for the most part, probably went to college. So by the end of high school, where's your head at? Are you like with your friends? Are you like, I'm getting the fuck out of here? Getting the fuck out of there. Yeah. Like I, before I, I mean, I guess probably from probably ninth grade on, I was just like, definitely I got to leave. Do you have any older, older siblings? Yes. One older. He's still there. Okay. He didn't give you the blueprint as far as getting out. No. So how did Nobody you, gave me the blueprint. How'd you get in your head that like you actually could leave? Well, I was into music and there was just no music there. None. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because the band Live is from my hometown. Oh, yeah. And they were kind of the same age as us. Um, They're back, by the way. Yeah, I think the singer got back with the group. They were still... They they actually have a crazy studio in the middle of like the hood in York, PA. And it's like a crazy million dollar... Hmm. It's weird. Yeah. But um So the live economy is like huge in your <laughs> in York, Pennsylvania? I think for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're interested in music. What were your musical aspirations as a kid? Well, I was really into hip hop and uh hip hop kind of turned me on to everything else. Like honestly, I'd never heard Led Zeppelin before the Beastie Boys sampled them. Wow. Um so in high school, hip hop turned me on to James Brown and Sly Stone and P Funk and all that stuff. And I guess in the sort of college years when I would have been in college, that's kind of I was listening more to like funk mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then I came back to hip hop. But you had no sort of musical background yourself, like my parents or anything. No, like were you playing like instruments in yeah. school? Oh, you were. Yeah, I mean, I played drums when I was a teenager, and then I started playing guitar in high school. Did you do marching band? Did you no, do? No, I didn't do any of those school. Strict- Actually, I did play guitar in like I think it was called jazz band. Yeah, yeah, but jazz wasn't for you. I like jazz, not the kind of jazz we were playing in high school. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't playing Miles Davis and John Coltrane. Were you doing heroin? <laughs> um, allegedly, no. <laughs> Off the record, no, no, not at all. Actually, I was totally straight edge until I was twenty three. At the end of high school, you cross the stage, you get your diploma. And then what? So I did go to music school for like a semester in Boston. Um, and that I wanted to get into production, but it was kind of like a thing where you had to be there for a few years before they you, and then you had to get into that department. So I just skipped out on that. And um, and then I ended up moving to Minneapolis probably pretty soon after that. OK, so skipped out on that, meaning you dropped out yeah. of school. Did you tell your parents and what they say? They weren't crazy. About it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, going to school for music, what I mean, I don't know what they thought I was going to do with that anyway. Right. So, so you decided that Minnesota was the sort of. Uh... Yeah, my dad got remarried in Minnesota and I went out there for the wedding, spent some time out there. I was also really into the whole Prince scene. Mm-hmm. Well, like I was really into Prince's music um, and I had this idea that the Minneapolis music scene was this big like funk mecca which I guess it had been at one point but when I got there there that existed but there was also it's a it's a very small scene so mm-hmm. everybody in all the different genres if you're you know rise to the top all those people know each other cross genre and um yeah I mean it's a really dope music scene it just wasn't like necessarily like a funk scene and there really was no hip-hop scene then at the time either and where did you see yourself fitting in That's a really good question. I have no idea what I thought I was doing. (laughs) Looking back, I don't know. You had a place to stay. Yes. Your dad was on board with like you crashing there. No. Yeah, I got an apartment actually. Okay, you did. Yeah. And where were you working? Um, I did a bunch of jobs. Like I worked. uh, 
I delivered pizzas for Pizza Hut wow. for a while. Um, I sold hot dogs on the street in like a vendor thing. Really? But yeah, like I mean, in like a funky way. <laughs> yes, yeah. actually, yes, because I met this guy Andre um, randomly, and he was like, "Yeah, I didn't even tell him that I'm playing instruments or anything." He's like, "Yo, you want to jam with me?" And I was like, "All right." So he played keyboards and sang and I started playing guitar with him and he sold hot dogs at this place. So he was like, come work over here or whatever. So that's yeah. amazing. So yeah. wait, so it was just, it was just in the air, the sort of like, I guess I just looked like I played music <laughs> or did drugs <laughs> and I didn't do drugs yeah. yet. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're out in, in Minneapolis. What's Minneapolis like? Cold. Yeah. <laughs> when I got there, the year I got there on Halloween, they had like two feet of snow. It was like a, early, yeah, it was early in the year and it was like a record thing or whatever. But yeah, it was crazy. Was it's there, hard to like dress up as something slutty when there's two feet of snow <laughs> on the ground. Luckily, I wasn't dressing. <laughs> <laughs> was there something going on every night, like downtown? Yeah, but the bars closed at one, like the the liquor license or whatever. They close, they stop at one. So yeah, there were a couple clubs. There's, I mean, there's First Avenue, mm -hmm. a famous place. Mm -hmm. um, Prince had a this club called Glam Slam. There were a bunch of clubs. And then what happened was, yeah, when I first got there, I didn't know anybody. I met some weird people, <laughs> definitely. But, um, but, but one guy told me about this bar on the edge of town called Bunkers, and it's like a biker bar. Mm -hmm. You know, I went there, and it was every Monday and Tuesday night, there was this band called Dr. Mambo's Combo. And they Great were, name. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. No, no, but they were incredible. Um, like the girl who sang Funky Town, mm -hmm. Cynthia Johnson. Shout From Lips Incorporated. Lip Sync, yes. Yeah. Uh, she was one of the singers. They had three Whoa. singers, and she was one of them. And the other one was this girl, Margaret Cox, who was in a gr group called Tamara in the Scene, which was produced by Jesse Johnson at the time. Hmm. Um, and then there was another girl, another woman, um, Debbie Duncan, who was a, like a jazz blues singer or whatever. But the drummer in that band was Prince's drummer and... There were all the everybody in the band was better than any musician I've seen in New York ever at this bar at the edge of town bar at the edge of town and everybody would come in uh, like people would come through town and come down and sit in with them all the time like Taj Mahal like <laughs> all these just random people and one, I got a great story one night um, Guns N' Roses was really really big at the time and I guess they were on tour they were in town and uh, Axel had a sore throat, like got sick or something, and they had to cancel a couple of shows, so they stuck around in town. Hmm. And Slash came down, whoa, and he sat in with them, which was hilarious because he had the big top hat <laughs> and he had the whole slash, like tons of people there. I mean, obviously, you know, he's famous, and he and he plays on a blues song with them. And Debbie Duncan, this woman, sang the song, and she had no idea who he was. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing this blues song, and he's like. <laughs> drunk i'm sure yeah um and he's playing over her like the whole time it's just like every line there's like a blues <laughs> lick in between whatever and she's getting annoyed or whatever and he took this huge solo or whatever and at the end of the song she's like you know because ev everybody kind of crowded the stage because fucking slashes on stage yeah and at the end of the song she's like yeah uh special thanks to uh, on guitar what's your name <laughs> splash ladies and gentlemen <laughs> it was amazing so who are you? You're 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 I'm, just hanging. I'm just some kid, and I oh yeah, that's right. I wasn't even 21. I had a fake ID, <laughs> and I didn't drink, but yeah. I had a fake ID. A f older friend of mine in my hometown went in and said he lost his ID, 
and they'd send you a form and you just go take the picture and I went and took the picture for him <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I paid him a hundred bucks and he still had his ID that he hadn't lost wait so. what was your name should I say no was I don't know but it was my name, name my name was Byron yeah okay <laughs> yeah I still have that somewhere Shout out to Byron. Was he like significantly older? Was he like a forty-five-year-old? No, like, it, like, <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. Was, no, he was it like was, two it was like years passable. Old. Yeah, 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 he was only like two years old. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're you're not even twenty-one. You don't have a college degree. You are selling hot dogs in Minneapolis. Yeah. So you know what I did? I went to a recording school up there. Yeah, and like a, like a tech school or whatever for music. Was that something where like it was worth your while? Did you meet a lot of girls? <laughs> very few very few I'm girls in that school yeah no um yeah i think it was worth my while because well it taught me some of the basics of of like studio mm-hmm. recording and all that but um but while i was there i ended up linking up with this engineer around town named tommy tucker jr and he kind of took me under his wing as like an apprentice mm-hmm. or whatever and and really like he had lost his license, so I was really driving him around. To, uh, <laughs> Wait, was, were you driving or was Byron driving? I was driving, but um, but yeah, and uh, I guess Minneapolis was so cool because, like I said, it was a it's a small town in in terms of the music scene. So I got to just I networked and got to know people, and I think I was even I was better at that back then than I am now. Um, so. I ended up, by the end of the school, it was a one-year program. By the end, by the fourth quarter, I wasn't even showing up to class because I would be at Paisley Park with Foley from Miles' band or, you know, in the studio with Tommy and, and some other, you know, ipso facto or whatever. It's like different bands and stuff. What do you think it was about you rather than, like, anyone else who was around town who wanted that maybe as badly as you did? Well, I think I did really, you know, I definitely, I feel like I had definitely had drive. I had nothing else going on in my life but wanting to be in music. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, when people people met me, I think they thought I was cool and could tolerate me being around them. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So you got to work immediately? Yeah. I mean, mostly at first it was kind of like for free, like interning for people or whatever. Um, and then I got a job at, the, there was a, a studio right there called Metro that, um, the school I went to used as a classroom mm-hmm. for some of the classes. So I got a job there. A year later, maybe, I ended up at Paisley Park. What kind of music do you think at that time was your specialty? Yeah, I could. I mean, I worked with all different, because there was back then there were still metal bands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Any, all types of artists. There was country artists that would come through there. And so I would, I could engineer for them or whatever. But, um, but they'd always stick me with the hip hop acts because i had a sampler and i knew how to like run that kind of stuff or whatever so So an sp or like a i had an emacs 2 what is that it's uh it's made by emu who made yeah they made a bunch of stuff they made the emulator and they were kind of like an early sample thing and you're making your own beats i was making my own beats i was making tracks that's the thing i did back then I would just stay up every night until like the sun came up and like be programming and trying to learn how to do all that stuff. Yeah. What's the longest session that you have? That's, I don't know. Long though. <laughs> like long enough where you're just like. I never had any of those like three day sessions. Though. <laughs> you know that more. Well, when I got to New York and started working with Bad Boy, I yeah, had long sessions. But even that, not really. I don't know. I mean, the thing is with well with Bad Boy, it would be like one session would take like a, it would be like a month. You know what I mean? So <laughs> like that would be long, but it wouldn't be like the whole time in the studio, right? So, um, I mean, we did talk about Prince on the last podcast that you were yeah. up here for. I don't know how much we should go back into that right now. 
But when was the first time you met Prince? Uh, the first time I met Prince. That's a really good question. You don't. Yeah, I said this in the last one. You don't really meet him. You're just around him long enough that he's comfortable talking to you. You know. Um, yeah, the first time that I was face to face with him was before I actually started working there, and um, the drummer, like his drummer, is my man, Michael Bland. He's, you know, I love that guy. Um, he tra- he he like definitely looked out for me and tried to put me on even before maybe I was even ready. And he at one point. Like Prince always had guitar tech problems because I don't know he just didn't like his guitar techs most of the time or whatever. And um, at one point, Michael tried to get me to come out to help the guitar tech because they just wanted somebody to help out to like string up guitars and stuff. Yeah. And I kind of knew, you know, I mean, I played guitar, so, <laughs> but I was definitely not a tech. And um, um, one day I came out there to meet that guy, and Prince was there on the sound stage. And he was like, is he the new tech? <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, my God, do not say I'm the new guitar tech. But no, yeah, I mean, I didn't really meet him. I, I met him later once I started programming for him, and then he liked what I was doing. So he kind of like, you know, <laughs> talked to me directly and asked me to do things to change things or whatever. Did your father understand, like, the power of Prince? Like, At that point, well, he well, did. because well, his father didn't, as seen in the movie Purple Rain. <laughs> True. Um, no, so, yeah, he, you know, it's funny. He did once he started to tell people, my son works with friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you should see the women I was talking to at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty excited about this. I mean, Prince ran that town, right? It was his city. Yeah, I mean, he did for sure. Although Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were doing their thing at that time with Janet Jackson and, and yeah, yeah. all that stuff that they did in the same town. They had their own studio, um, and then there was like the whole indie rock scene from Minneapolis, which is really big too, with the replacements and Husker Du and all that. Um, and the funky hot dog band that you guys were in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, we did some gigs. <laughs> it was—I don't even know what it was called. It was like Andre, I guess. <laughs> was there enough of an ecosystem out there for like everybody to get regular work? Yeah, live music is really popular there, so. Um, all of my friends from Minneapolis are musicians mm. and they all are still doing it in one capacity or another. And some of them tour with people. And then when they go back, when they're off, when they're in town, they're doing local gigs all the time and they're teaching people. Some people work at, um, like jingle houses and stuff like that. And did you like Minnesota when it warmed up? Like yeah. over the summer? I liked it a lot, man. I mean, I, I love that city. Um, the people there are great. Uh, all the people I worked with in, 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 you know, at Metro Studios and at Paisley Park. Um, and then, yeah, there was this band that I worked with called Greasy Meal. And um, those guys are all still, like, really tight friends of mine. So your relationship with Prince and Paisley Park sort of expanded and you you were there regularly. I was there, yeah. Once I started, at first it was just a freelance thing for a little while. Once I became full-time, I was there every day. He, Prince would rehearse his band every single day for a year and then we'd go on tour for like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so that band was super tight. Even when he wasn't there, they had to be there at noon. Like for, I think I'd say from like noon till five, they were running through songs. Recording the, the no. set? Okay. But I would, um, they, they would videotape the rehearsals, and, and eventually, once he got familiar with me, he'd have me videotape the rehearsals. What's the smallest thing that Prince was like really particular about? Well, 
I was dealing with, at first, I was dealing with drum programming for his live show. So he was very particular about things being tight mm. and not being sloppy. Would he suggest certain sounds to you? Not really, but he would say like, yeah, make make this sound like a remix or whatever. And then I would add my own flavor in my own time. And then the next day they'd, they'd go through it in rehearsal. And sometimes he'd be like, nah, take that out <laughs> or whatever. One time they sent my man Magoo, shout out to Magoo. They, they sent, uh, he sent Goo down to the, the, um, the tech room to get me to change something from the song seven. I had put like a go-go loop in it, mm-hmm. like a, like a cowbell loop or something. And he was like, yo, boss wants you to take the, the go-go loop out of seven. So I walked all the way up across the atrium back to the sound stage. By the time I opened the big door, he, he gets on the mic. He's like, nah, it's cool. We're keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was awesome, though. Like, I would program these. I would take the beats that he had um, for the for the songs that they were performing. I would sample what he'd do in the studio, like the drum programming, loop it, add, like, fortify it with, with more kicks and snares, and then also always add something else, like some element, because he wanted everything to sound like a remix. Hmm. So a lot of times, those sounds that I would add, he would take them into the studio and lay them down on new material that that he was working on. So there's an album called Exodus by the NPG, which was his band, um, that has my sounds all over it. That's awesome. And a couple other things, yeah. Are there any better live performers than Prince? No. Are there any worse performers than Prince? (laughs) A few. (laughs) A lot. Yeah. Name every single one. Yeah. Um, So your time with Prince ends and you go back to New York? Um, no, I stayed in Minneapolis for a little while afterwards. Um, I worked with that band Greasy Meal and, um, and then, yeah, I came out to New York with the, the bass player from Greasy Meal, Jim Anton brought me out here to work with one of the guys from the Blue Man Group. And, um, we came out and hung out for a few days in this guy's house in Brooklyn and, um, recorded a bunch of tracks and ideas and stuff. And this guy liked me too. So, um... I think Jim was like, you should go out and work with, you should just move to New York. At one point, I was like, I didn't want to be in Minneapolis anymore. He's like, you should go to New York and work with Blue Man Group or something. I don't know how it happened, but I got in contact with them. They were building a studio, and they're like, yeah, come out. And I came to New York. And So you've heard the Blue Men speak? Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but wait, with the paint on? Nope. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. like, there's like strict rules, right, where they, like, they don't speak with the paint on. Is that true? I don't know. I think so. I think it's just like it, when they're in character, they're in character. It's like, you know. Like Disney World. Yeah. Or yeah. Jim Carrey being Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never talked to them with their. I mean, I really only met with the actual blue men once or twice. And then, like, the guy the guy that hired me, Ian Pei, shout out to him. The um, architect? architect? Yeah. <laughs> no. Ian Pei? No, Ian. I, oh, oh, Ian. Like yeah. Ian's earring. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, it's Ian. Oh. Or no, Ian. Ian. Ian Pei, yeah. So he wasn't the guy that did the Vietnam m- Memorial. <laughs> no. Deer Hunter. Yeah. No, he was not. Ian, you know, he was just he was the drummer. He was the original drummer, but like those guys that perform as the Blue Men now aren't the original Blue Men. Right. right. No, 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 no. It's like Menudo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyway, so I, I worked with them. But I came out to, to work with them, and then, like I said, their, their thing flooded. <laughs> Their studio flooded and I was kind of, so my, you know, I was staying, I was actually staying in Pennsylvania at my mom's house and trying to figure out how to get to New York and, and you know, New York is so expensive. Um, so I was going to come up here and live once, once we had the studio built, but I was just visiting, they had a, a crash pad where traveling blue men and musicians <laughs> and people like me would stay. So I was staying there the day that the, the pipe burst and it was across the, the street and 
you know, I helped them clean it up a little bit, but then it was kind of like, all right, we're going to put this on hold. We're opening a new show in Chicago. We're going to wait until that's done. So I went back to Pennsylvania and DJed a little bit. And then randomly, Randy Jackson, <laughs> Michael Bland, and my man John Field, shout out to him, both told me independently of one another that Randy Jackson was asking me asking about me. How? And what, yeah, what did you know about Randy Jackson to this point? Not much. So <laughs> I met Randy Jackson on the street in Minneapolis one day. Was he walking his dog? He was with my friend. Well, he was with Michael Bland. <laughs> mm -hmm. They were walking. And uh, I was with a girl. We we ran into each other. They had just come out of a, a Soul Asylum secret show at the oh 7th God. Street Entry. So yeah. 1994. Yeah. Date and time. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. And Michael Bland is actually in Soul Asylum. Now. Really? Yeah. They had just seen a, like a, a surprise show at the 7th Street Entry, which is like the small club out in, in First Avenue. And then um, I met him on the street, and Michael was like, yeah, this is Fafu, or this is Faf, he's, our, he's my programmer or whatever. And Randy was asking me all these questions and stuff. And then like, yeah, I don't know, was that like a year later or something? And maybe Randy knew that I worked with Greasy Meal and I worked with Michael Bland or something because John Fields was in Greasy Meal. And you have an easy name to remember, so. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. John Fields actually gave me the name Fafu. Wait, why? I don't know, because everybody called me Faf. Mm -hmm. and, um, and why did they call you Faf? Because my last name is Faflin. Right. And then, um, yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't crazy about Faf back then, but, uh, but I walked in the studio one day and he did like a karate chop move and he's like, <laughs> Fafu. <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's my DJ name. Because I was DJing at the time, too. Yeah, that's how I got the name Fafu. And then John Fields went on to produce all the Jonas Brothers albums. Wow. Yeah. What had Randy Jackson been doing up to that point? He was Mariah Carey's um, bass player, musical director, and he was Tommy Mottola's head of A&R, like right-hand man. Oh, my God. That's so, a lot of, like, cross wires. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So, I yeah, I was thinking about moving to L.A. Uh, my girl wanted to move to L.A., so... I really didn't like LA, but um, but I went out there because of you know Randy, and I met with him, and uh, yeah, he he was like, yeah, dog, we're gonna do all this. <laughs> like he told me, he's like, we're gonna do. I want to write songs with you. I want to start a band with you. We could do remixes together, and uh, and I could use you as a programmer and stuff. And then I was like, oh great, yeah, if, all right. Any one of those four things <laughs> happens, I'm good. So I went to to LA, and he never returned my calls. What? Yeah. I called him once a week for the first like two or three months that I was there. Shout out to Randy. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> that's so fucked up. Yeah, it's totally fucked up. And then he calls me up six months later, <laughs> and he and there's like uh, Randy Jackson's on the phone for you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And this is like this is before Pro Tools was really like everybody had it and everybody used it and stuff. And and I get on the phone and he's like, yeah, what's up, fat? Yo, you got Pro Tools? I'm like, no. He's like, all right, cool. I, I'm gonna call you. And that was that was it. That and was it? Yeah. You should have ambushed him on set of American Idol. <laughs> this was way be like, before. Yeah, you know, but I'm saying like years later, yeah. you show up like with a cloud of smoke coming around you yeah. and you're like, hey. I did have two more interactions with Randy Jackson since then. Fuck really? him. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? How were, that, were they good? Yeah. Well, at one point, I almost did a, a like um, uh, a stint of recording with Mariah and, mm -hmm. and Randy had to call me and tell me how she worked on vocals and stuff. And I was going to go to Anguilla, I think, and record vocals with her, <laughs> like take a whole Pro Tools rig down there. She was writing songs and um, it got canceled at the last minute. I don't think she wrote it. Typical Randy. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and then um, and then once with when I was with my group Less Nation, we were shopping it. I don't know how that 
all came together, but I went and met with Randy at a <laughs> at a place here in 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 Manhattan with with our manager Morgan and um and Randy was hitting on the the the, the waitress and he was like, "Are you a singer? <laughs> you, you should be in his group." <laughs> I'm like, "That's how Fergie got in the black." Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, so you go out to L.A. This guy is not picking up your phone calls for three months. Yeah. So what'd you like resign yourself to do? I was do- I was doing. I don't know. I mean, I did like I got these random gigs through like the my musician friends and stuff, but they wouldn't be good. Like I would work on a session, and then the guy would give me like fifty bucks or something. I'm like, what? What am I doing this for? Yeah, yeah. Like I was doing some programming stuff. I was not doing a lot, and then, um, and then I got the call one day, um, to go on tour with Puff. Okay, how in the world does that happen? Um, so this was my man, Scotty, Scotty Baldwin from Paisley Park. He recommended me to the production manager for the No Way Out Tour in 98. That's amazing. Yeah. It's crazy too. It was a really rough time for me because my best friend had just died. Oh my God. Mm. And I was still in mourning. Like I was really going through it and, um, they called me to do it and they were like, you know, um, this is probably like two months after or something. And, um. And the guy calls me and he's like, have you, have you heard of Puff Daddy? (laughs) Yes. And, uh, he's like, you want to go on tour? I was like, okay. And, uh, and he's like, you got to go today. You got to get on a plane today to go to Albany, New York. Um, they're doing, uh, dress rehearsals or set rehearsals or whatever. Oh, right. Tech rehearsals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in, In Albany, New York. And, um, and we need you there right now or whatever. So I had to, he's like, go do your laundry, pack your bags. You're going away for seven weeks. To program? No, to do backline, which is like setting up equipment and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which for that tour, that was only two people. That was Stevie J, who had a percussion rig, a keyboard, and a bass guitar. I think that's what his whole setup was. And then uh, Clark Kent had turntables. Wow. And um, and that's what I was supposed to do. And I got there, and um, Stevie J had you know what you guys know what ADATs are? Yeah, no. ADATs I, I, are like an <laughs> early digital recording format that was on VHS tapes. It was like super VHS tapes, and they'd hold eight tracks of digital audio. So this is before Pro Tools was really used heavily, um, and it was kind of it was kind of like a, a an amateur you know thing or whatever, but um, a format. But um, that's what they were using to run the show. So Stevie J was supposed to press play on the music and then start playing along with it. And he was like, I ain't doing that. <laughs> so, so they made he made me do it. And then I went to the production manager and I was like, I need more money. Yeah. I'm running the show. I'm literally playing all the music for the show other than the percussion. No. Um, yeah. So I ended up doing that. I was sitting on the side of the stage, like, you know, pressing play and I'd have to, I'd have cue points cause there'd be certain sections where it would be three or four songs back to back. And then he'd stop and someone would talk and I'd have a cue to the next section and like 112 would come out and Stevie <laughs> J would have his acoustic guitar that he was pretending to play. <laughs> and, as soon as he, and as soon as he started, I would have to press play. But, uh, but the crazy thing is that the set would change all the time. And this is when I met my man Michael Patterson. And um, he was in their studio bus with Pro Tools editing the show and then he'd be bouncing it down to ADATs. So sometimes there was the first set and the second set. Sometimes during the first set, 
he's bringing me the tape for the second set with numbers written down of what the cue points were, which weren't a hundred percent. You know what I mean? It was never like a hundred percent right. So, um, but it, it, it all worked out. Who was um, on that tour? Man, everybody was on that tour. So our set was just Puff Daddy and the family. So the locks mace Kim was on in, in our set. Um, junior mafia, um, I don't want to forget anybody. Carl 112. Thomas, one twelve was definitely on it. Carl Thomas, maybe he wasn't on that tour, but he was on a European tour that I did. And Faith Evans, no. But then opening for us, um, I'll go in reverse order. Buster Rhymes went on right before us, and that wow. was he, he was like, "Put your hands where eyes can see." Oh my god, that that album. And um, before that, Jay Z. Oh my god. And before that was the firm with Nas and Foxy oh Brown. <laughs> and before that was Usher Raymond. Oh my god. Yeah. And before that was Kid Capri, and he played the beat for Hard Knock Life. Right. Yeah. So that's a lot of buses. <laughs> oh my god, was it ever? Yeah. <laughs> Who did you ride with? I rode with on that tour. I rode with the Sound and Light crew, and <laughs> those guys hated me because <laughs> they all had to get to the venue like early, early, early to set up all their stuff. And I just I could just like smoke weed until <laughs> noon and then come out and set up my little things and then do the show. And then I would also be done way before them. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting because that you know I had been a technically a roadie with Prince when I toured with him, and this was the first like roadie gig outside of that and i instantly was like this is not what i want to do for the rest of my life all these guys and you know no disrespect to them or their profession but they all lived like you know on the road all year long they had kids with multiple people in different cities and and um the lifestyle was just was hard you know like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of chemical usage and bad food and you know sleeping on a bus and mm. I don't know I, I it wasn't for me and plus like you know I, I really wanted to make music not just like plug in stuff for other people to. did you get a chance to make any music with anyone on Bad Boy at that time not on that tour no mm-hmm. but I got to know Michael Patterson really well who was instrumental in helping me you know with my career and again you're showing your face around and people know you and yeah. they're comfortable with you around and then the tour ends yeah and what was the uh, what was the goodbye party like? Oh my god! <laughs> so here's the goodbye party. So we uh, we had to go. We had to do uh, Vancouver. So we I think we did like Seattle or something. We went up to Vancouver and then we went back into the states to do some city. And then we were supposed to go up and do another city in Canada, but not on the west coast, more in the middle, like a Calgary or a- maybe it wasn't it wasn't as far east as like Montreal or Toronto, but it like was a like Winnipeg or something, maybe something like that. And when we got to the border, they were waiting for us. This is in the middle of the night. And they had, we they, they pulled up. Everyone's sleeping in the in the bus, and they, they come wake us up, and they're like, "You have to fill out these forms." And 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 the the first question was like, "Have you ever been arrested for anything ever?" Oh my god! And so basically, anybody that said yes on that couldn't go through. Oh. So we ended the tour right then and, and, <laughs> and flew home <laughs> because yeah, that was the la- it was going to be the last show, but they were like, "All right, turn the buses around." Somebody told me Puff was out out of his bus, like walking around, like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> But um, I just stayed in the bus. But but yeah, they turned the buses around and took us to some city and flew us home. And wow! That was, that was and it. home was L.A. L.A. at that point. So yeah. you went back. I went back to L.A. And it was good because I actually had money. That that is good. Yeah. What can you do in with money in L.A. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't have that much money, but um, 
but yeah, I stayed in LA for a little while, but I just, I still, I still couldn't get anything going, um, creatively or even just like work wise. I I don't remember how much longer I stayed in LA, but then, um, I stayed in contact with Michael Patterson and I was making beats and I was, and Michael Bland was coming out to LA a lot and we were making beats together. Um, and I was just kind of building up this catalog of music. And then at one point I was like, man, this isn't working out. So I reached out to Patterson and his wife answered this is before you just called someone's cell phone, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, Oh, he's on a plane to LA right now. And he was mixing some faith Evans song right down the street from where I lived. And, um, I went to the studio, hung out with him Then he came to my studio. I played him some of the stuff I was working on and he's like, do you want to work on hip hop? And, and, uh, you should move to New York. And, and you so, said, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I went to New, I came to New York and I stayed on my friend's floor for a month and, Ugh. By the end of that month, I was in the Bahamas with the the whole Bad Boy family working on the Forever album. Wow. Does everybody remember you? From the tour? No, I don't think so. I don't know. I think that somebody probably told Puff that I was that guy that was running the ADATS or something. Mm-hmm. I didn't really interact with him that much on the tour. I did a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anybody remember, remembered me. I didn't really get to know the artists on the tour. But take us through the Bahamas. Like, is this in like a villa, and you just set up like a Pro Tools rig and everything? No, it was actually we were at Compass Point Studio, which is Chris Blackwell's studio. And Chris Blackwell is—he's the guy that signed Bob Marley and um, started Island Records. So it's a big—it's a big villa. <laughs> yeah, I mean the studio wasn't that big. It was—it was a decent studio. But then he had a there was a resort across the street, and then behind the studio there were these apartments and kind of hotel rooms which we stayed in, and um. And yeah, we stayed there for three Forever. weeks. <laughs> yeah. We stayed there for three weeks. We were working on the Mace album, the Double Up album, which is the second album. Yep. Little Kim, Notorious K.I.M., um, obviously the Puff album. And I want to say like Seas was recording there. So did you just stay in the studio? Yeah. We, we, ha- <laughs> we weren't allowed to do anything but stay in the studio. Yeah. We were allowed to have a half day off on Sunday. According to Puff? Yeah. Wow. And I, I, <laughs> How did you spend the half day off? <laughs> well, I know one day we all went on the, like a snorkeling trip, and oh. I ended up swimming with sharks. That's cool. With all the like engineers and stuff, and then we went back to the studio like, yeah, we swam with sharks. And Puff was like, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing about the swimming with sharks thing is we were on this – it was like one of those tour, like a, a snorkeling tour or whatever, and we joked saying, "Oh, can, can we swim with sharks?" And they, so they, they're like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> so they took us over to this spot, and I was like the first one that was about to get off the boat, and then I had second thoughts, and there were other <laughs> people that weren't with our party on the boat, and some old lady starts getting. I'm like, "Nah, I'm not getting, <laughs> yeah. not letting no old lady go first. I'm jumping in." So it was amazing. Like went down, and there were these. They were pretty small sharks, but they would even a small shark swimming directly towards you is pretty frightening. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you you go back to the studio though, and everything is sort of like you know better than that. Yeah. No. We 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 worked hard. That that was like intense. It was like boot camp. You'd have a bunch of producers set up with these little rigs all over, and there were there were crates and crates of records. People were going through looking for samples. People were making beats. People were writing verses. Um, remixes were happening. Yeah, it was insane. And then producer, yeah, producer-wise, it was J-Dub was there, um, Mario Winans, uh, Nashim. trying to think who else was down there. I don't know, but the hitmen at the yeah. time. 
But they were not swimming with sharks. <laughs> they were like jet skiing and <laughs> having more fun than we were, for sure. And so how many rooms were there? I don't know, because a lot of the artists and producers stayed at like some fancy hotel in town, and we were on the edge of town. Puff stayed in the... Um, in like a suite where where we were it was it must not have been that big oh how many studio how rooms? many studio rooms yeah. oh, okay yeah um two two studio rooms and then there was chris chris blackwell had a house across the street and we took that over and had that set up for like digging for samples and making beats wow would people just rotate in and out like you had a sort of set schedule that like mace was going to record at this period of time and kim yeah. would come in at this period of time yeah totally and and then like uh busy bone came down <laughs> j-lo came down wow um, was J-Lo recording or she was just seeing Puff? Yeah, just seeing Puff. Yeah. And she was, I mean, Benny Medina was managing Puff at the time and mm-hmm. managing her. Um, yeah. Who was the hardest working of any of the artists? Artists? Yeah. That's a good question because I don't really know. Um, but I, I'll tell you, Mace came in with like everything written. Like, you wow. know, a lot of MCs will write to the beat. Yep. Yeah. Mace would come in and be like, like, I would be in the studio with Mario a lot. And uh, he'd come and be like, yo, is this for me? <laughs> and then just spit a verse. And, and yeah, he had like he, he had his whole album written before he got there. That's or, awesome. Or at least a lot of it. Yeah. And how much of your production ended up on any of those projects? My production? Yeah. None. Okay. I was just kind of like helping the production team. Mm-hmm. But I ended up um, scratching on, a, like DJ scratching on a lot of stuff. That's dope. Yeah. So Puff just was just like, hey, I need some scratches? And no. Like, oh. That was later. Well, I got to finish the. I got to finish the, the 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 Bahamas part of it. Yes, um, because there was an issue in the Bahamas with weed. There's no weed in the Bahamas. Why not? I mean, maybe there is now. <laughs> but when I got there, um, I asked. I got there a couple of days early with the equipment or something. They sent me down to make sure everything showed up or something. And so I asked the people at that that were running the house, "Where do I get weed?" And they're like, "Oh, go to this fruit stand down the street. Tell them, and they're going to call somebody and whatever." Did you have to use like a code word? I don't remember, <laughs> but I remember the dude that sold me like, the I'll weed. Take three bananas, right? Yeah. yeah, no, but some some the dude that sold me the weed was like this. Like he looked like a gorilla, like military guy, mm-hmm. like dressed in fatigues. I yeah. think he might have had a machete yeah. and yeah, and he sold me this dirt weed that was terrible. <laughs> and then um and then and then Bad Boy showed up and I think some people had brought like a couple bags with them or whatever, but that ran out pretty quick. And then one day Puff I did not know Puff yet really. And Puff was walking down the hallway at the studio and he's like, Yo, who got some papers? And uh and I was like, I do. And he's like, what do you roll with them? And I was like joints, <laughs> and he's like, "All right, go go get them. like they were in they were in the in my uh, my room." So I went and got him, and I I came back, and he had this Manila envelope, like a big one, you know, like a full size yeah. Manila envelope full of weed that they got down there, and he was like, he was like, "Can you can you roll me a couple joints or whatever?" And he had like a couple people with him. And he's like, "What do you think of this weed?" And I looked at it, and it, it was it wasn't good. Yeah. It, it was like garbage, like street weed. Um, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I don't know." And 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 his man Wolf, rest in peace, was there, and he was like, "Yo, Puff, it's got the orange hairs. Look at it. It looks good. It's got the orange hairs." And he's like, "Nah, I want to know what the white boy thinks." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "I don't know. It looks like some bullshit to me." But uh, but I rolled him some joints or whatever, and then. Um, the funny thing is, I had this little booth that I was set up in because 
Oh yeah, my my role there was to put together a sample library of like kicks and snares and drum sounds and like you know different sounds that they could use or whatever. So that was my role, my first role with them in the studio. And um, rolling was your second, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. But um, but so so I I had this little room set up with a Pro Tools rig, and I was I was you know chopping up all these samples and stuff, and I had incense going one day. Like I had some knife chopper that I brought with me, and Puff leans in. And he's like, "What is that?" He's, I was like, "It was incense." And he's like, "All right, do you got more of that? <laughs> bring it up to my bring it up to my room." And he was like in the penthouse or whatever. So, so I go up to my room, get some sticks of incense, and go up to the penthouse and knock on the door. And um, <laughs> this dude, um, D Mac, answers the door, and he's got a joint like a big fat joint and i was like oh what's this local shit and puff is in the room with this girl sitting on the couch and he's like nah that's imported from california in a pussy <laughs> yeah it was amazing um so yeah so i smoked the weed and it had you know it had a little taste to it yeah, just playing. any orange hairs no but um but the funny thing is uh d-mac told me later because i gave them i gave him like seven sticks of of incense and they were in a you know in a suite he's like like these so he lit they lit all of them and i, I was kind of you know i was kind of out of my element and i didn't i, I should have been like dude just like one of them but i didn't and they low they 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 lit all of them and then d-mac came up to me later and he's like yo I had to put that shit out, man. No one could breathe. They were choking. <laughs> yeah. So you had a good time down there. Yeah, I worked hard. Yeah, worked hard. But then, and then, so then came back to New York. Um, were, no. any, were any samples off limits? By the way, like just like money wise, or um, I think that they wouldn't think about that until like they knew they wanted to use something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And would you make any suggestions on any records or anything? Yeah, I mean, mostly with like with Mario. I hung out with Mario most of the time, mm -hmm. and um, he would be like, "Yo, what, would you give me some sounds for this or whatever." And um, yeah, was he recording as an artist at the time? No. Mm -hmm. All right, I have a question about Mario Winans. Mm -hmm. um, he has a song called "I Don't Want to Know," mm -hmm. where he says that if a girl's cheating on him, like don't don't tell him. Would you tell him if I knew? If you knew. That Mario Winans was getting cheated on, would you tell him? I don't think he wanted to know. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. I mean, he says that he doesn't want to know. It's like the guy who had "Do Not Resuscitate" like tattooed on him, and yes. like you know, is a very weird thing. So, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. that guy was not resuscitated, right? I would tell Mario. <laughs> you know, it's funny. There were people that would tell on people for doing stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those people weren't respected, yeah. <laughs> even if you were telling the person you worked for that someone was stealing their drum sounds and shit. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Wait, so, tell us tell us who. <laughs> well, an engineer that I knew told me that a producer, one of the Hitman producers, who wasn't really in the circle at the time, this is back after we got back to New York, would tell the engineer, hey, anything you work on, any sessions you work on, just copy all the, the, the drum sounds <laughs> and put them on a dat and give them to me. Wow. Which I'm sure, you know, yeah. people yeah, a lot of people did that all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and he went back to to the to the head of A and R. He went to Harv, I think, or Conrad or something at at Bad Boy, and told him. And you know, they definitely laughed at him. <laughs> it's like this is hip hop, man. This is, that's that's what people do. So after the Bahamas, did you feel like you were fully in in 
trenched with the bad boy camp. Yeah, were you bad boy for life? Yeah, I mean, not yet. Once I got ba- once I got into it in New York, I definitely felt like I was. So you you came back and you're here in the studio. Were you at the Bad Boy Enterprises building or where was? The- no. So first, I went back to Pennsylvania. I think there was a break. I think it was like right before Christmas or something. I went back to Pennsylvania. I had them ship my whole rig that I was working with to my mom's house in Pennsylvania hmm. and I worked on some stuff there and then the next phase of it was we went to Atlanta for two weeks um, again shipping <clears throat> your stuff down there yeah oh this is so like just crazy technology wise <laughs> yeah I know because now you can do it all with a laptop yeah. this yeah. is like refrigerator sized racks <laughs> of stuff um, yeah so so I went to Atlanta and we worked out of a studio called Silent Sound, which is like the silent partner of L.A. Reed and Babyface. There was a third guy mm-hmm. and he had this, he was like, you know, less public, I guess, mm-hmm. more private. And uh, he had a studio that we worked out of and right next door was DARP, which is Dallas Austin's studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where Carl Thomas recorded, I think, most of that album. With, wow. With the, you know. That's dope. Hit. Yeah. Was it productive down there? Yeah, super productive. It was weird because they wouldn't let us smoke weed in that studio. <laughs> <laughs> Even Puff. If Carl Thomas was getting cheated on, would you tell him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Neither would I. Yeah. Shout it's out to only, Carl, though. I yeah. love Carl Thomas. Yeah. He's a good dude. It's Car- only Mario Winans, I would tell. Carl Thomas showed up at that Bad Boy reunion tour, what, a year ago or whenever? And, and killed it. Killed it. You killed guys went? Yes. Yeah. yeah. At that point, after Atlanta, you come back to New York? Yeah, but so in Atlanta is when I started doing the scratching, though. So one night, they were working on the song PE2000, the Public yeah. Enemy song. That, yeah. was the, that was the first single. First single, exactly. So they were working on that. They had been working on that in the Bahamas, and then in Atlanta, Puff recorded his vocals, and a bunch of people were writing for him mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so you know, someone would get half a verse, or people would work tag team on a verse or whatever. And I was a big Public Enemy fan, too. So one night after they all left the studio, Michael Patterson came into the room I was working in. And he's like, hey, you want to scratch on this song? I was like, sure. <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't have, you know, they had turntable. Hey, hey, none of the producers, at least in the in the Hitmen at the time, none of them were DJs. So like nobody scratched. Everybody used mixers and turntables just to sample. So you'd have a turntable plugged into a mixer, plugged into an MPC. And uh, so we had that stuff, but we didn't have like, I didn't have like my, you know, any of my, I didn't have my mixer or my battle records with scratch sounds on and stuff. So I had to go through stacks of records, try to find a sound I could scratch that no one would recognize. Oh my God. And, uh, and yeah, I scratched on that song that night. And um, remember Mark Curry? Yeah, yeah, of course. So my, my real name is my, my first name is Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and ba- by that point, I had the name Fafu, but I think people were still calling me Mark back then. So Puff comes in the next day and hears the record, and he's like, who's scratching on this? And, and Michael Patterson's like, oh, that's Mark. And he's like, Mark Curry did this? <laughs> and then, yeah, I saw Puff in the hallway that day. And he's like, I didn't know he was a DJ. And yeah, after that, he asked me to scratch on a bunch of records. That's dope. Yeah, it's dope. I still hear, like, there's a Shine song, That's Gangsta. Yeah. Oh. I have, like, a, I have a solo at the end of that. Super. Yeah. Serious shit. That's you? That's me. Yeah. That's dope. I still hear that on the radio That's, like in yeah. LA. And shit. That's a great song. It is. Yeah. A Waste of Time with It's the Reels, 12 Days of Podcasts are sponsored by the good people at Def Jam who have taken over the holiday season with nothing but dope projects for everyone in your family. Got a cousin who just doesn't have his head on straight? Maybe he needs some inspiration. Maybe he's been sleeping through his life and needs that kick in the chest by amazing beats and powerful words. Well, 
Give him the gift of Jeezy's new album, Pressure, which features 2 Chains, Puff Daddy, Tory Lanez, Rick Ross, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, and more. Pressure is available on every streaming service, every download service, and of course, at jeezyshop.com where you can get really cool merch bundles. Got a mother like ours who called the other day and wondered when the center of rap transitioned from New York City to Atlanta? Well... Follow our lead and get mom a copy of that real New York City rap album by the legends Fabulous and Jadakiss called Friday on Elm Street. In fact, let mom hear that intro track produced by the great Ted Smooth and go from there. She will not be sorry. Got a coworker who you've been crushing on and you want to make a splash with during Secret Santa? Well, there's no better gift than Janae Aiko's album Trip, which is available now on vinyl. Show love the Janae way at the office and impress the Pam to your gym by playing Sativa and When We Were Young. And you know what? Take care of yourself this holiday season and pick up Jesse Boykin's The Third's amazing album, Bartholomew, which has crazy features like No Name, Melanie Fiona, Dej Loaf, Bridget Kelly, Sid, Trinidad James, Audio Push, and more. Be the giving person you always wanted to be, you Grinches. This holiday season, stock those stockings with gifts from Def Jam Recordings. So Mark Curry was around then. Yeah. Um, he had a very short-lived bad boy career. Yeah. Uh, also, Shine was around then too? Yes. I think Shine first started coming around when we were in Atlanta. That was probably the first time I saw Shine. Yeah. And and he was writing. Probably. He was working on... It was weird because Shine had this huge buzz and there was a bidding war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I remember he was supposed to get on some remix for Wycliffe. Wycliffe came to the studio when we were in, in Atlanta and I think I forget the story, but Shine like had a tough time with the record or something, and he sent he sent the one of the runners or something to the to the mall to he's like get get the Chronic, get this Tupac <laughs> album, get all these like classic hip hop albums, and he just sat there and listened to them over and over. Wow. And um, but yeah, I don't really remember Shine. I don't know if he was writing for Puff. He probably was. He wrote for the duets album, or not, not the duets. Was it duets? He, yeah, he wrote the song um, Notorious. Yeah, that for, was on uh, Born Again. Yeah, uh, yeah. Born Again. I worked on that album too. I have a great, st- I have a couple great stories on that album. So okay, so so Atlanta wraps up. You head back up north. Yep. And Puff now knows you as DJ Fafu. Yep. And how do you how do you move on from there? So then they're like, all right, so move to New York. Right. I think at first they were put me in a hotel, and they're like, dude, you got to get a you got to get a place. <laughs> they're not going to pay for a hotel. So I'm I officially moved to New York. I sublet at a place, and then yeah, I, I got a place in Chelsea. Um, and yeah, I was just at daddy's house all the time. Um, and is daddy's house now well, the way it was now, now, right? It just closed. Yeah. It just closed. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Like two years ago. Yeah. Oh. And so you were there all the time. Who would come through? Everybody. I mean, Busta would come through all the time. CeeLo would come through actually in Atlanta and in New York. CeeLo was so cool, man. I ran into him in New York and he's like, hey, he gives me a, a, a sh-. like, how's it going? I'm like, I don't even remember meeting you the first time. But <laughs> nice to see you. Um, yeah. Uh, just everybody. Nas, you know, everybody came through there. Is that, is that a weird thing? Just being in a studio? all It's like being in a casino. No windows. You're just sort of like in this strange world. And then you come outside and it's all dark. And yeah. I mean, I'm a studio rat. I've been I've been called that as a derogatory term too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I like to spend time in the studio. It, it that's just that's fine with me. And as far as studios go, Daddy's house was pretty top notch. Oh yeah, yeah, great studio. Forever comes out. 
And then how do things change in terms of like the production or the scratching or your involvement around that camp? I was still really, really involved. Um, Forever came out. Like we were working on Forever and we were working on the Mace album and the Kim album all at the same time and the C's album. Yeah. So, so after Forever came out, I'm pretty sure it was like focus on Kim, focus on this. And I remember when we were working on the Mace album, that was really like when he when he left. Mm-hmm. And one of the last things I did with Mace was they asked me to work with him on interludes for his album. Um, and he came in and he just he had no energy. He was just like bummed. He was frowny face, not not into it. Frowny face Mace. <laughs> frowny face Mace. That was going to be like an EP we were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. So you um, had an idea. <laughs> I I mean I didn't know what the hell was going on but but then yeah all of a sudden he just bounced. I think it was what did he do? He waited for his album to drop and then he was like I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, there was a weird yeah. thing like he was managed by Magic Johnson. Uh he did a, a label deal with Jermaine Dupree, right? Um Was that when he put out the Harlem World? Yep. Mhm. So mm-hmm. did you know Loon at that time? Yeah. Mhm. Loon really more after the fact because then he signed to Puff. Mm-hmm. So I was around Bad Boy for a while, but it was kind of on and off. I wasn't. I was never employed by them. It was mm-hmm. just freelance work. Um, but you got. I mean, you got your money. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially at first when they were still with Arista. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, once they started making the transitions to different labels, there would be little hiccups in the payments, and you right. have to hold things hostage to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> but I always got paid. Yeah. Shout to Puff. Yeah. I know not everyone did. <laughs> <laughs> so Puff obviously starts getting into some legal troubles. How does that affect you and the morale around the building? Right. So so you're talking about the Club New York thing? Yeah. Shine? Mm-hmm. I was there. I was at the studio. I I think I was on a train coming back from Pennsylvania. Like I went to visit family and I was on my way back to the studio. I was going to take the train right to you know Penn Station and walk up to Daddy's house. And I got the two-way page or whatever, like, don't come today. <laughs> and yeah. And then I went to the studio the next day and there was a back way you could get into daddy's house um, without going in the front door. There was a way you could get out. And so somebody had opened that door and I went in up through the stairwell and I walked into to daddy's house when it was completely shut down. And they were like, yo, yo, you need to get out of here and don't come back for like a week. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then you looked on the tabloids the next day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't remember all the things. I went to the trial though. I went to one of the one day. I went to the trial because um, they were gonna. Peta was gonna come and protest Puff and like throw stuff at him because he wears furs or right. whatever. Yeah. So they 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 wanted a bunch of people they knew to come and sit in the in the pews. So me and my girl went with a bunch of the people from Bad Boy one day, and it was it was fucking crazy. It was like Benjamin Brofman and yeah. Um, What's his name? Johnny Cochran. They were talking to. They were questioning the his driver about the secret compartments in the in the in the navigator. Yeah, the yeah. Weekend. And it was like you got to turn the air conditioner up to full. Turn this and then push this button over here, and then the compartment would open. So some real like James Bond shit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I remember there was a break in the middle of the um the trial. The you know yeah that day yeah. the day in court or whatever. Shine saw me. He's like, "Yo, Mark Fefflin, <laughs> um, whatever." And uh, and uh, and then I went up to Puff with my man Jimmy Lee, and Jimmy's like, "Yeah, it's getting really, it's getting really ill in there." And Puff's like, "Yeah, it's about to get iller." <laughs> he was like, like he was, he was fully into it. But um, but yeah, 
Well, did you think like that was it for you? Like, nah. I knew Puff was gonna. It was. Gonna, it wasn't gonna be over. I mean, you got Johnny Cochran. He's got that much money, and I, and I, of course, I knew Puff, and that people were saying that he shot people in the club. I knew there's no way that he would have shot someone right. in the club. Right. Mm-hmm. No way. No, because you have to turn on the AC and then crank <laughs> yeah. up this dial, and it's just, it's just too many steps. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. but Shine goes away, mm-hmm. and then you're still with the Bad Boy Camp. Yeah. So, are you working with like G Dep and Black Rob and? Yep. Um, I worked on the the big Born Again album, mm-hmm. big time. So, they a friend of mine produced a song on that record, um, and uh, this guy Cornbread did a beat for one of the songs, and he couldn't figure out how to get Biggie's vocals to line up with his beat. Right, he had the right tempo, but it just wasn't working right. So I was like, "Oh, I got you." <laughs> And I went in there and, um, you know, I just nudged the vocals around and just got it so it was perfect. And then, so he went back and played it for Harv and Comrade and, and they were like, oh, Faf did this? <laughs> All right, we want him to work on every song. Like, Whoa. so I had to, I had to edit Big's vocals on every song to make sure they were writing the beat correctly. You got all the acapellas. Yeah. I mean, I just went into all the Pro Tools sessions yeah. and did it. And then, this is a crazy story. So then one day they're like, "Hey, we need you to go to um, Hit Factory or you know one of the other studios and edit this other verse by one of the most famous rappers in the game, which I will not name." And I was like, "What?" But he rapped over this beat, and they're like, "Yeah, but you could probably make it better." So <laughs> I edited someone's verse on that album that was not it wasn't like a remix. They were actually rapping over this beat. And I'll tell you guys off here. Yeah, and, and you made it sound better. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> who am I to say? Right. I was just like, this is ridiculous that I'm doing this. How and much instruction did wait, they give you? They weren't even there. They they were like, go to you know Hit Factory Studios, whatever, and um, the, the engineer will have it up for you and just work on it. So, I you know I I copied the track so that they yeah. still had the original. And I did my edits, and I was like, I don't even know. I, I'm like, let me listen to any time he might be falling off beat a little bit and nudge it. Wow. Yeah. Can I guess, and if, if I'm right, we can bleep it out? No. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I guess, and we'll bleep it out regardless? As long as you definitely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eminem? No. All right, he guessed Eminem, and he was wrong. <laughs> but I will tell you a crazy story about the Eminem verse on that. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, <laughs> so, Dead Wrong. Probably my favorite song on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, Chucky Thompson produced it. And um, Buster Rhymes was originally on it. Mm. And he had this, you know, the, the whole song is about just saying the most disgusting thing you could possibly say. So he had these crazy verse about like sticking his finger in a girl's butthole and all this shit. It was nuts. And then, and, and they were like, Harv and, and whoever, or whoever, I don't know, maybe it was Puff, heard it and they were like, no. Nah. <laughs> Tell him to come back and do another verse. Wow. Which I got to say happened a lot. Buster Rhymes came back and redid his verses and did them way better the second time. Wow. Wow. On more than once. That's like uh, his thing? I don't know. I just noticed that happened a few times and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, I mean, you know, props to Bad Boy for like, this is one of the, the illest MCs at the time. And they're like, no, that's not good enough. You got to do it better. Mm. Wow. And he did. And so, so, so Buster came back and did a second verse. They mixed the song. Puff did the ad libs to it. And then Harv is across town on a, in another studio with Eminem and does and gets records that Eminem verse, 
and brings it back to the studio and he brings it to me and he's like, you got to put this Eminem verse in, in, in place of Busta. And all those ad libs on that song is Puff actually ad libbing Busta. So I had to edit Puff's ad libs so it sounded like he's reacting to shit M said rather than what. Wow. Because at the beginning he's like, ladies and gentlemen, or whatever, right before M starts rhyming, he said like, ladies and gentlemen, Busta Rhymes or some shit. So I cut the Busta Rhymes out. And then I, I would just move his like, yeah, and uh-huh, <laughs> over to so that it sounded like he was reacting. Yeah. That's so dope. Yeah. I also did the clean version of that song, which was the first time with, <laughs> with Bad Boy where where they would stop. That was one thing I did a lot over there was be the clean edits. Yeah. And I would put like sound effects in, which is always, I always thought that was kind of cheesy. But yeah. um, but but then I'd hear like DMX songs on the radio. And instead of the curse words, it'd be like uh, one of his. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of his ad libs. So, so I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to do that. So I took the acapella. And took any of Biggie or Puffy's ad libs and just made like a you know chopped them up and yeah. made a, like a little folder of those and then took out all the curses and then dropped in the ad libs and one day Puff stopped me in the hallway at Daddy's house he's like yo you did that dead wrong clean version I was like yeah he's like he's like yeah I just heard that on the radio man it sounded like it wasn't even an edit <laughs> when do you start doing Bless the Nation during that time. Um, yeah, it's Blessed the Nation, not Blessed the Nation. Ah. But yeah, I did that. So let's see. I met these guys, Ming and FS. Um, they were like a jungle, like rave DJ duo. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were doing, like, they did a drum and bass remix of Benjamin's before, like, you know, the year before I got there. And I was making all these, the, a lot of the beats I was making were sort of fit. They were hip hop, but they, they kind of fit in that alternative like e not edm but they call it electronica like down tempo trip hop whatever you know which is i was really into that music too like a lot of english stuff that was influenced by hip-hop but was Was not yeah yeah yeah. i mean you could definitely rap over those beats but they were it were trippier and and psychedelic yeah it was more destined for like raves and stuff yes 100 percent. but it would be like the rave room where you're where you're coming down from your ecstasy and you want to chill (laughs) right whatever um so one of the guys at bad boy heard my beats and took it to ming and fs and they called me up they're like this stuff is amazing we want to help you put out these this music but you know it's definitely underground you won't make any money or whatever but anyway i got did you think that they were maybe looking for mark curry (laughs) maybe yeah different Um, mark yeah so anyway i hung out with ming and fs a little bit they lived right near daddy's house and while I was over there one time, I met Wordplay from Blestination. And they already were Blestination, Various and Wordplay. And they uh, they were they had a production deal with Ming and FS. So Ming calls me up one day and he's like, You should get up with Blestination and make some you know, play them some of your beats, do some stuff with them. If it's if it's good enough, we'll put it on their album or whatever. So these dudes were signed to Ming and FS and I think they felt like they weren't being given the attention that they wanted and you know they 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 weren't working fast enough nothing was really happening for them so they came over to my studio i had a i i started renting a little studio which was on 26th street right next door to baseline and they came over to my studio which was like we called it the hot box it was i could literally touch both walls (laughs) like this and it was this, this narrow room with high ceilings but it was this narrow it was longer than this but um yeah, and so they came over and listened to some of my beats, and they were like, 
I, pl- I probably played them 10 beats the first time and they're like we like every single one of these beats wow. and I think it was just like the perfect combination like they were kind of like my stuff was was definitely a little bit too underground for bad boy but these dudes were definitely in, in on some irreverent like white boy you know they were young they were it was kind of like it kind of sounded like you know the to- topic wise like odd futures early stuff like tyler and earl you like Dark. that's the kind of stuff they were rapping about yeah. and stuff so and that fit perfectly with my production and 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 i think my sound at the time which was influenced by drum and bass and hip hop even though it was hip hop beats but i would distort the bass and distort the drums and do all these like interesting things so that we kind of had our own sound at first which was a kind of an underground indie hip hop sound and these guys were very lyrical they were influenced by you know all the backpackers and the m&ms and the you know people like that so it just it just kind of worked and then so we did some songs and the second or third song that we did actually wordplay calls me up he left this crazy message for me where he's like i got a record i, I need you to, i need you to flip uh if you don't do it i'm gonna take it to one of your bad boy dudes <laughs> And it was Banana Rama Cruel Summer. <laughs> what? He shows up in my studio with this Banana Rama album, <laughs> which he borrowed from some DJ. And I'm like, "What is this?" Like, we're gonna- on vinyl. Yeah, on yeah. vinyl. So, so, so I go to I go to sample it, and I I slow the record way down because I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna flip this and make it into some grimy thing or whatever." He's like, "No, no, 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 keep it the original tempo. I want it like I want it to be the original like the original song. I want to rap over the song." So we. <laughs> We kept the lyrics in for the verse. So I made a beat where I used the chorus from the song as the chorus. There's a verse of like a first verse is just a regular 16 bar rap verse. Then there's the chorus. And then the second verse is like the lyrics to the song, hot summer days in the, whatever. And then he raps in between the lines, like he's Whoa. answering the girl. And the whole song is about like how. Like it, we changed it because we tried to clear the sample, and they said we couldn't call it "Cruel Summer." So we used a line from his verse, one of his verses that was "Summer sucks without drugs, sluts, and cheese." <laughs> so we were going to call the song "Summer Sucks," but then in parentheses, yes, tag. And um, and it was all about how you had he, they had to they would like give girls ecstasy to sleep with them and shit like that. Wow. Like it was a grimy song, yeah. grimy yeah. lyrics, but this it sounded like a Will Smith Puff Daddy <laughs> like. <laughs> like bouncy right. hype williams like, yes yeah 100 yeah, yeah. so that was like the second or third song we did with them i did with them all the other songs were were grimy also bananarama was very willing to get paid for that but they didn't want to call it cruel summer yeah i mean i don't know if they owned it oh okay got they probably didn't yeah. write it and they probably didn't own the master <laughs> for sure actually they didn't even sing it Oh really? That's yeah. Possible. Really? Cruel Summer was done by um like it's it like a, a Millie Vanilli Millie Vanilli situation. Wow. Really? Yeah. Had no idea. That's so weird because I actually worked with one of the singers from Bananarama. I guess that was before this all happened though. Let me make sure I'm saying this. <laughs> um, Otherwise, I'm just like slandering. <laughs> but 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 they didn't get involved yet. Like um, Bananarama, it eventually had to get cleared uh, much later, but. Um, at first it was just like this thing that everybody that heard it was like, oh my God, this is going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I just delved full time into, I mean, I still worked at bad boy, but in all my other time I had my own studio, I was making beats and I was working with blessed nation. And then eventually I couldn't sign them to a production deal because they already were in one. So we waited for that to that time to, to lapse. 
And then I joined the group. And did Bad Boy know this other side of you? Yeah. I mean, I at one point, I was in the studio with Puff, and this is very early in the Blestination time, um, and I was it was just me and Puff working on something. We, we, we used to do the the music beds for the Sean John fashion shows, wow. which was amazing. That's a whole other story because Puff would basically, he, he, he wanted to be called DJ fusion and, <laughs> and he, I would, I would be sitting there he'd have a CD player. They would, they'd go down to tower records or whatever it was, um, the big record store in times square and, um, just come back with like bags and bags <laughs> of CDs. And he would just, he would just play random things like not beat matching or anything. just, overlapping weird like different styles of music and and like just random happy accidents like he played the doors you know and then we go into method man like release your death yeah so um yeah it was dope like that was fun but anyway we we're in there just me and him working one day and i was like oh and this is you know eminem had become really hot in that year so people everyone was like signing their white rappers or right, whatever right so i said to puff i was like yo you got to hear these white boys i'm fucking with and he's like all right put it on so i i, I play i played this song called not to be stopped and he was his phone rang right as it starts playing and i'm like ah he's yeah. not even gonna pay attention the verse kicks in wordplay wordplay goes first his verse kicks in and he, he he he's holding the phone up to his ear and he drops it down he's like they white <laughs> and uh and i was like yeah and he's like tell them to come in so i had them come to the studio that day wow and um and this is also during the trial uh the, for the with the shine thing or yeah. whatever so um so they came to the studio not looking like rappers particularly from what i remember <laughs> what were they wearing just like kind of normal stuff like you know i feel like it's interesting. I feel like when you take those meetings, you need to like present yourself how you need to let them see what the people are going to see. Right, and right, right. I don't think there was any, it was so like, let's just do this. Like, yo, come to this. I'm at daddy's house. Come to the studio, 44th street or whatever. And Puff didn't see it. No, he did. I, we played him. The thing is we didn't play him cruel summer. Mm -hmm. Um, which was my decision. And I, I was worried that it was going to get stolen or something. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if that was a good decision or not, but but he called me that day, the next day, he called me, and he was like, yo, I like those white boys. Let me just get finish this trial. Let me, let me, let me get through this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do something. But, and he was like, but I don't want any production company involved. I don't want this. I don't want that. Like, he was really talking about it. And even, uh, what was her name, Fran Spiro, she told me, um, rest in peace, she told me that they were like, talking about like budgets and all that kind of stuff so he was into it and then but that i think the trial dragged on for a long time we kept making music we made hundreds and hundreds of songs in those first couple of years I, it would be like i'd be at the studio like yeah we got 120 songs you know what <laughs> i mean like um and you guys eventually did sign yeah we we went through a bunch of different things we put out an indie just a self-released indie cd before that and i remember puff listening to that and um we we were going to sign with this indie label called Recon and they put us on the Lyricist Lounge tour in a bus with Killer Priest. <laughs> Shout out to him. And uh and and that tour was with Scarface and Eric Sermon. Wow. And Graf and somebody else. And uh and so we yeah, we were like popping a little bit um 
And the and the oh yeah so so the cruel summer song also Ron you know Ron Gilliard you know who that is Mm-mm. he was like an executive at Bad Boy and he had left and he went to J Records which um, Clive had just started so he calls me up and wanted me to do a clean edit of an Olivia song she was signed to J before G hmm, Unit really yeah huh. she had a song called I'm about to biz ounce <laughs> so <laughs> oh I know that song yeah 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 I'm about to biz ounce. Yeah, yeah so so th- he asked me to do a clean edit to that and I I worked on it and then around that time I we made this cruel summer song and I was like wow this is I mean it it was like one of those songs when you heard it you're like yeah this is has all the elements of what you need to have a radio song or whatever so I hit up Ron and I was like I got a hit song I got to play it for you and and I think when I went in there he was like are you trying to pitch a song for an artist or like I was like no I have an artist with a song it's crazy and um so I I played him the song he was like okay I want you to meet with our hip-hop A&R so he met he he linked me up with Trevor Gerardo shout out to him and Trevor, they had just started J Records. They didn't have an office yet. They were in the Waldorf Astoria, like Jesus. in rooms where, where the offices were. So um, we met with Trevor. We would go into Trevor's office and play him like three or four songs. And he was like, wow, this stuff is incredible. He He's like, look at that stack of, of CDs and tapes in the corner. That's all the demos I've gotten since we started. He's like, this is better than everything in that stack. Wow. And, um, and you know. I don't know if that's true or not, but he said it, and uh, and he uh, and he kept he kept having us come back and come back and come back, and we just keep every time we'd have like three or four new songs, we'd go up there and play them for him, and he he started coming to shows. I don't know if like whatever it was like that with a lot of different people though. You know, you just keep meeting and and hope that it progresses into something. Then also Kenny Burns, I don't know if you guys know yep. who that is. Yeah. He managed a group called the Dream or Dream. Dream, yeah. Dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were the girl they, group. They were the girl group that was signed to to Bad Boy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he was their manager. And he was later um in A and R for Rockefeller. He was that before. Oh, he's before. Okay. He gotcha. was a, he was a Rockefeller A and R, I think, for like reasonable doubt or something. No, like, not that early. It's, Kenny he, he had he had plaques on his wall that were like photoshopped <laughs> well it said kenny burns and it was like it was early j shit i don't mm-hmm, think yeah. it was reasonable doubt but it was like some early shit mm-hmm. it was before all this i met kenny at daddy's house he had me put a show tape together for dream or something and i played him cruel summer and he flew us oh my god this is a great story too <laughs> he flew us to la to meet with andre harrell now andre harrell who i knew from bad boy because he was president of bad boy when i when i was there for that's for some stretch of it he had been hired to run Babyface's label, New America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Babyface had this new label in L.A. So Kenny Burns, Kenny was Kenny was like, I want to manage y'all. I'm going to get you signed. Like he was hype. Like that dude is just hype anyway. And um, and he was really really into it. And he was calling us all the time. And 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 um, you know, he was just very involved. And so he he was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you guys out here to L.A and get you signed with this label. And he was A&R at New America at the time. So he flew us to LA, put us in some fancy hotel, and he shows up the day of the, yeah, I guess it was all in one day. So he comes to the, to the, to the hotel and he has like a quarter ounce of weed and just throws it down on the table. <laughs> and he's like, roll up or whatever. <laughs> and now I already know, maybe I didn't, but I already know that like getting high before going into a meeting <laughs> is a great idea. <laughs> great idea. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the dudes, the MCs, they were all about it. Well, so how, how good was the weed? 
It was L.A. It was good ass weed. Were there orange hairs in it? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't remember, but it was good weed. So we 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 rolled two joints or something, and we go. He drives us over to the office. I want to remember this story right. We walk into the to the to to Andre Harrell's office. I find out later. They had just started. They had just gotten the first edit back on the new Babyface video, and Babyface was really unhappy with how <laughs> he looked in the video, and all of his stress was being filtered down onto Kenny. Oh my god! Or, I mean, onto Andre. Yeah. So Andre was really like under pressure at this moment. <laughs> so we go into his office. He recognizes me because he's seen me in the studio with Puff, but he doesn't really know me. Know me, and um, he's like, uh. Yeah, what Kenny says, give one joint to Andre and and just light the other one. And he so wordplay or various one of the two tries to hand the joint to Andre, <laughs> and Andre goes, "I'm working. This is, this is professional, like some shit like that. Like, nah, I'm I'm working right now or something." So he takes the joint but doesn't light it. And meanwhile, or no, maybe Kenny tried to give it to him, and and he he said some shit like that, and I caught it, but the dudes, the various and wordplay, didn't notice, and they lit the joint <laughs> in the office, in front. Of, it was just so weird, and Andre was like, like it was one of those meetings where, um, like some people are really open when you're trying to present them with music mm-hmm. and like want to make you feel comfortable and like, yeah, play me what you got. Let's see what it is. This wasn't one of those meetings. <laughs> this was like, Andre a, was not showing whether or not he was like into it. He was basically before he even heard anything. It may, he made it sound like he wasn't into it. Like, cool. Yeah. It was like yeah. one of those, like you, you ever heard the story of Beanie Siegel rapping for Jay Z and Jay doesn't like, doesn't crack a smile, doesn't nod his head or whatever. And then, and Beanie's like, ah, I didn't, I'm definitely, this isn't working out. And he's on his way back to Philly. And they're like, you're signed. Yeah. Yeah. That's like Lauren Michaels. Okay. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. so, and I think, you know, that's just the thing. That's just how it is sometimes. So that's how we are in this apartment. You come (laughs) over here. We're not going to budge an an inch. Why are you ice grilling me right now? Yeah. (laughs) Just intimidate you. That's why we don't have the cameras on. So, so yeah. So it didn't go well. And then, and then Andre's like, you guys are rappers rap for me. Meanwhile, these dudes are high, paranoid probably at this point because we're getting the prickly vibes. And Wordplay's like, yeah, I don't want to rap. And he's like, I thought you all were rappers. You don't, you don't want to rap? Like, I never heard of a rapper didn't want to rap or whatever. And, and, and we're like, well, we don't have the instrument. He's like, just rap. And then they were like, no. Nah, we, and then, so I think they ended up like rapping over the lyrics or something on one of the songs. It did not go well. And I don't remember all the specifics, but... but uh. I remember we had to leave and then come, like, we had to move to another room and then he came over. But yeah, we basically lit a joint in Andre Harrell's office and he was, like, not happy. So it didn't happen for New America. It didn't happen for New America, but then the next, that that was like, I remember coming out of that meeting, like, feeling like completely defeated. Yeah. Went back to the hotel. The next morning we went and met, we went to Capitol Records and we met with that guy. The guy who Ice Cube comes in and smashes all the things on the wall yeah, yeah. in that scene. I can't remember his name. But um but he was really into it. And uh so then all of a sudden like we were we we're like, fuck New America, we're gonna sign to Capitol Records and they had like, you know, chronic on the wall and shit like that. So I mean that was the end of that trip, but but we we, we tried to we tried to work that angle and then at some point Kenny was telling us that, that the Capitol was gonna do the deal 
And then Noah Callahan Bever, shout out to Noah, who was a huge supporter of ours. Um, and he's at Mass Appeal at this point. No, this is after Mass Appeal. I want to say he's at Vibe mm-hmm. at that yep. point. They were gonna, he was going to write a big article about us for Vibe. He had already put us in a bunch of articles in Mass Appeal, some small stuff in Vibe. And like he was always getting us all this press. It was awesome. Shout out to that guy. Um, but he was gonna. He was writing an article about us for Vibe, and this was gonna be like this big introduction to us. So the peep, his bosses or whatever, they were like, "Well, yeah, you can. You gotta call Capital and make sure they're really gonna do this deal." So they called Capital, and they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna sign them." And he told me this, and then they called him back the next day. They're like, "Actually, we're not." <laughs> yeah. So I found out from him that Capital wasn't gonna sign us. That's crazy. Yeah. That's what the that's the music business though. There were you're so always many finding out stuff from the press. Yeah. <laughs> well, or you're just like almost this, almost yeah. that. Like so many things. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. like when we did the so so the, and then I guess before this is all completely out of order. But before that, we had the 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 cruel summer remix had ended up in got landed in the movie Blue Crush, and then hmm. the and that was on Universal Pictures, but the soundtrack came out on Virgin. And um, I don't remember who was running Virgin at the time, but they were going to sign us to Virgin. And I mean, this, the thing about that song was anybody that wanted to sign us based on that song was like, what's the follow up? And we never could do like another pop song like that. Like right. every time we tried, it was like a fail. So that that was kind of a blessing and a curse anyway. But um, but we had heard that Virgin was going to sign us and that was going to be the single and, and they were going to run with it. But then... Um, the girl that sang the background vocals on the song sued us because we never, because she was dating some like lawyer guy who I knew from bad boy and didn't like or whatever. (laughs) But, and I don't think anybody likes this guy, but, um, but he was like, Oh, you can make some money out of this. So he tried to get it so that it was destination featuring her. And uh, and all she did was sang over the the sample, right. like the, mm-hmm. the 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 vocals from Banana Rammer or whoever Millie Vanilli it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. were 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 in the the record, and she was just blended in with them. And she did some ad libs, and the ad libs ended up in the commercial, and that's how they found out about it. And so he would like he didn't, I guess he didn't really sue us, but he tried to like intimidate you, yeah, and you tried to, up with a baseball bat. No, I almost showed up with a baseball bat. <laughs> Um, basically the day that they had the, the blue carpet for, um, for blue (laughs) crush in in LA, he sent out a, um, not a cease and desist, but he sent. oh, he put an injunction on the film based on the fact that this wasn't sorted out yet. So it made us look terrible. And any deal that we had based on that was off the table, but it was already too late to take this. The song was already mixed into the movie and the (laughs) soundtrack was already made like, or pressed or whatever. And, and, uh, yeah, so did you like watching the movie when you were there though? <laughs> I didn't go to the to the the blue carpet event, but I I watched it in the theater. Mhm. It was weird watching it. It was like a little unsettling. Cuz the plot was not yeah. No, it's, I mean it's a good movie, but I felt like uncomfortable hearing my music in the film for some reason. Sure, it was sure, the first but like, time. But let's talk about you know the actual plot of the movie. <laughs> What is it? Is like uh, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, some, yeah. yeah. Who cares? Was that the shark movie? <laughs> no, no, that's no. a different thing. That's no. Jaws. No. It's girl surfers, though. Yeah, it's girl surfers, and then like one of them is hot. Okay. One of them is hotter than the others. And the other is Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the group doesn't last. Ultimately. Well, we got signed after that. You did get signed. Yeah, we yes. got. We eventually got signed to Geffen. Right. 
And Mr. Morgan was your manager. Mr. Morgan and Paul Rosenberg, co-managers. Crazy. Yeah. Mr. Morgan, who is now uh, running OVO. Shout out to Mr. Morgan. Uh, Paul Rosenberg, who is now running Def Jam. Shout and, out to Paul. And Noah Callahan Bever, who is now running marketing at Def Jam. Shout out to Noah. Crazy how things work. And Steven Victor was our publicist. Crazy. You had, you had the, all the top layers of Def Jam. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You guys were about 10 years too early. I think so. Yeah. So you signed to Geffen. Yeah. Paul took us to Geffen. We signed to Geffen right before Geffen kind of folded. Right. Yeah. And uh and then you guys ultimately don't don't last. Yeah, well what happened was um we spent 2 years making that record or we not even. It was like it took a year to clear the samples on the record. Yeah. But um it took 2 years before once we got signed and once we mixed and mastered the record. The week that we mastered the album they fired 75 employees from Geffen including our A&R guy, our product manager, Everybody working on our project. Not great. Not great. Yeah. So we had this record and there was still like, they hadn't even released a single yet. And um, yeah, we just eventually got dropped as they were kind of cleaning house and anything that wasn't already making making them money, they didn't want to lose any more money on. So, Who was making money for Geffen? Guns uh, and Roses, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. Splash. Splash. <laughs> In the gang. <laughs> so uh, after that project comes to an end for you, are you still focused on the music business? Yeah. I was working on a bunch of things while I was working on that album. I was producing this guy. Me and Harry Fraud did a, um, an album with a guy named MCEO who's super dope and still has never really like put anything out. Um Super talented guy. And then I was working with this singer-songwriter named Lonnie from um, from Jersey, from like the Jersey Shore somewhere, um, who is an incredible singer-songwriter, kind of influenced by Nirvana, but also hip-hop. Like, um, we made a whole record. So I was trying, I was going to try to get them deals based off of our incredible classic album that we were going to drop, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, and so I was... I was I was doing those things. Also, while we were signed to Geffen, Paul Rosenberg brought us um, video cameras. He was like, you guys are kind of crazy. You should just film everything. And this is like mini DV, you know, like the little camcorders. So yeah. we, were, we were filming and filming um, just everything or whatever. And then, oh, that's right. And then our A&R guy, Mike Chavez, shout out to him, he... We we had a mixtape that we were gonna drop right before that, like to to set up the album. Mm -hmm. And he was like, "Man, everybody does mixtapes. You guys should make a DVD." Um, which nobody was doing. Everybody everybody still makes mixtapes. Nobody makes DVDs now. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, but yeah, I don't know if they were or not. But but anyway, so we already had this mixtape, and it was like a lot of songs. And I was like, oh, "You you want me to make a video? You want us to make videos for every single song?" He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> So, which we probably could have gotten away with just doing like half of them or whatever, but <laughs> we were ambitious. So we ended up shooting our own like super crappy videos to all these mixtape records. And we'd have people like, um, shout out to Clay Patrick McBride. He, he shot a couple things for us. Um, and a couple other friends. One of the guys in the, 
Various had a friend named Dylan who was a graffiti artist and just an artist in general. And he he was basically directing and editing the whole DVD. And he he came over to my studio, our studio one time, and gave me Final Cut Pro. Wow. And I was like, I don't I don't do that. I make music. <laughs> but then one day we had a song with R.A. the Rugged Man on the mixtape. And um, I, in iMovie, I cut together a bunch of scenes from like a Peanuts movie. Um, to that song, and it was really fun. Yeah. I, I was like, "Oh, this is fun! I want to edit." And 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 it was funny because I made like Charlie Brown was one of them. <laughs> I can't remember who the other one was. And then when Ra came on, I had Pigpen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Ra. So you weren't worried about any more cease and desist coming your way? <laughs> no, quite the contrary. Yeah, Charles, you just Charles sort of like, is... yeah leaned into it. Yeah, yeah no, totally. So well, so Charles Schultz was dead at that point. So <laughs> you were good. Yeah. I mean, what's he gonna do? Yeah. So yeah. So so I learned to edit video in that in that process. There. You didn't even need to go to school for that. Never. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So now you have this skill set that goes beyond music, and how does that whole thing lead you to uh, translation and Steve Stout? So Morgan was still managing uh, when Morgan was managing us. He would have me. Do like they they used to call them viral videos when it was like oh this is an an actual video we're gonna make a viral video <laughs> yeah anything less than like you know thirty thousand dollars is a viral video <laughs> yeah I think he was giving me like five hundred dollars and, and like the first one he had me do um like uh, the kid Daytona and Jim Jones had a song and uh, it was I can't remember the name of the song but but they they gave me a bunch of like knockout videos of like like you know boxing videos and I had to just make a, a video. It was like a montage of boxing scenes and stuff. And then he brought me this Cardinal and Akon song called Graveyard Shift. And Akon is rapping on this song. I don't know <laughs> if you guys ever heard it. No. But um, it's a dope song. And uh, he's like, make a video for this. And I was like, he's like, and he's like, come up with an idea. <laughs> so it was like Graveyard Shift. And I was, I don't know, I was talking to Harry Fraud that day. And I was like, man, what should I do? And he's like, you should you should just get the first season of The Wire and use all of the nighttime scenes from that. So Morgan borrowed Cypher Sound's <laughs> box set of the season one of The Wire, and I ripped all that footage, and we put together this video that was all scenes from The Wire to this song. And so they sent it to Cardi Loved It. They sent it to Akon. He's like, there's only one thing wrong with this video. I'm not in it. <laughs> so he flew Cardi down to Atlanta for like an hour. And he was like going from Africa to somewhere and he was going to be in. So they, they met in Atlanta, picked him up, drove into the hood somewhere. They used for lights. They used the headlights, I think, of his SUV. Mm -hmm. Just pulled up two takes, two different spots. They sat there, ran through the whole song <laughs> and sent me the footage. I had so I basically had two complete passes of the song with those two and I in, interspersed it into the the video with the the wire stuff. That's incredible. And that video did go super viral. It That's was a awesome. dope video. But then YouTube <laughs> took it down because there was like a shot of there there's a scene of Omar holding a shotgun up to a little kid's face or something. Also a ton of wire footage that they didn't right, own. They used stole. You can yeah. still do that though now. <laughs> I guess. But it was like it it had to do with the guns, I think. Yeah. Um and uh yeah so so i did that and then a bunch of videos like that and then me and clay started making videos for like the for the blessed nation album we made one video together that 
Clay directed and I edited, and it was like really official. Um, By the way, people should know out there that Clay uh, is an amazing photographer and did my favorite photo of all time, which is the Jay-Z and Kanye as JFK and RFK shot from Double XL magazine like when like 2005 or so when when Jay-Z was president of Def Jam. Yeah. Shout out to Clay. Yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, so we were making videos and I was just I was just kind of like, "Oh, cool, I can make music videos too." And so I kind of got into that. Then I I ended up making a video with French Montana for New York Minute with Jada Kiss, mm-hmm. which I actually mixed as well. Um and I think I was already a translation at that point, though. And, yeah, I did a couple videos for Saigon. Um, and this yeah. is all through Harry Fraud? Or? No, the, the, the French was. Right, that's what I'm saying. Saigon signed to this label called Suburban Noise, which put out the Blestination album as well. Mm-hmm. So they had seen the videos Clay and I had done, and they were like, can you make one for Saigon or whatever? So I ended up making two for Saigon. And, um, yeah, I was just making videos and then a friend of mine, Nert, shout out to Nert. Um, he, he was like a big, I mean, he was friends with one of the guys in Blesty. He, um, he used to come to all, all of our shows and stuff. And he, so he knew me to some extent for reasons I can't say on the air, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, he called me one time and was like, Hey, this girl I know is a copywriter at translation and I think he mentioned Steve Stout and Jay Z or something, but I it didn't it just went like I didn't even register you didn't that. Care. Yeah. I didn't register it, but she was like he was like they're looking for a video editor, so I'm like sending all these videos I had done, and uh, one of them, the fine the one that really got them um, psyched was the Akon and Cardi video because I think because it was ripped footage from the wire maybe, and that's what we do a lot of that in advertising and. <laughs> Um, and it was very rhythmic. Like my cuts were very rhythmic and, and that they just, they just liked it or whatever. And they told me they were like, that's that Akon thing is what, what sealed the deal. So I came in and just did like a freelance project for them for Wrigley gum. And it was, it was like a long process. And I was like, wow, this is cool. I'm making way more money. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and then they kept calling me in and eventually it was like just stay here. What was the most like weirdest corporate thing that you had to get used to? Translation is not that corporate, at least not where I am. I remember first visiting you, and you, they they let you do whatever you wanted on the separate floor, way in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as long as you light seven sticks of incense, <laughs> then yes. you're good. But you've been there for how many years now? Eight years. Eight years. And what are some of the the more prouder things that you've done over there? Well, we launched Made in America Festival. That's big. That was big. I made a video for that, like a teaser video that Jay put on his Life and Times website. Mm -hmm. It was like a 15-minute teaser, which was basically black and white stock footage of crowds and, um, and then like some landmarks from Philadelphia. And then at the end, it said made in America and nothing else. And when we sent it over to Jay, he was like, Oh, change this, change this, put this music in there. He sent me the, the, the ham instrumental. Mm-hmm. So that's the music in there. And then, um, yeah, he was like, you know, cause I think the made in America came up in red at first cause it was Budweiser. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, nah, make it white mm-hmm. and, um, whatever. He kind of art directed a little bit. And, 
And then that came out and everyone was like talking about it. Like, what is this? Is this a movie? Is it a concert? Is it a tour? Is it an album? Mm-hmm. But why would it be an album if it has a song, the music from Watch the Throne in there? You know? So, um, yeah. And, and then I ended up working on a lot of stuff around Made in America. I also, the other thing I was really proud of, I did a documentary of Rihanna um, over there. They, they had, it was also through Budweiser. They did some spots with her and they had, they were, they commissioned some guy to do like a 10 minute mini documentary about her tour in Europe or about her fans. And he interviewed her fans and stuff. And then, um, the, the director did an edit and sent it over and everyone was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and so they, they gave me the hard drives of all the footage and they're like, don't tell anybody you're working on this. Don't come into the office. Just, just, go home work on this for like a week and just make whatever you can out of it and luckily this guy never got an interview with rihanna when he was on the tour and he also didn't have any complete songs <clears throat> performances so i and i had all that stuff because we were doing a campaign with her so we had a, a crew interview her at one of the shoots and all and luckily she talked about her fans and this whole thing was about her fans and then we also had a performance for for some reason there was some video i had to make where they sent me a performance from the tour of the song diamonds so i made the whole concert and or the whole documentary end with her performing diamonds and the kids some of the fans that we that they, this guy had interviewed were in the front row singing along with diamonds crying it was amazing that's um, crazy yeah it was nuts it's very easy that it could have been like you somebody was talking to rihanna about like chicken noodle soup and it's like well how do i fit this in right no it all worked out really well and i ended up so i also for that documentary i put we put a bunch of rihanna songs in like instrumentals as the music bed and some film scoring type stuff and then they were like we can't afford rihanna songs for this (laughs) so i think rihanna gave us a couple songs like we had to have diamonds and we had to have some other ones and then there was a new song they wanted to push but all the other songs they're like you gotta we gotta replace that so i ended up doing all the original music in the film holy shit i color corrected the film i mixed the song diamonds because i got the the multi-track of the live performance from that particular show the morning that rihanna had to see the the video and approve it before she was going to like asia for on tour or something um so i like I got the stuff FedEx to my house, mixed it at home, went into the studio, finished the mix, and they like sent it out. Yeah, they, they somebody took it to somewhere and played it for her, and she was like, she loved it, and her mom saw it and cried. That's amazing. So yeah. you really like aconned it, I know. I totally aconned it. I hope I hope it's not lost on you that you're like the wolf. You're like you know, yeah, the, like the from Pulp Fiction. Who, yeah. You just fix things. I'm a fixer. Yeah, like yeah. you fixed the um, the unnamed rapper on the on the biggie album you fixed the uh the dead wrong ad libs yep that the ad libs you fixed the rihanna video when you you know weren't supposed to uh, yeah <laughs> tell anybody that's and- true though people rarely come to me to do the thing but when shit goes wrong they're like faf can fix this listen i'm just mad that you didn't fix that baby face video then you could have gotten like a label deal and you would have yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> That's before my video days. I know. I also should have fixed uh, Andre Harrell's face when he got offered that weed. <laughs> Shout out to Andre oh Harrell. Oh my god. The guys in Blessed Nation made up names for everybody. Like, like just. For like George Bush when he's like, oh, like you're wearing glasses, you're glassy. You no, you're your beardy. <laughs> it would be more like a play on words based on their name, and it would always be a put down. So they called Andre to her- Andre Harrell on way to hell. Maybe that's why you guys didn't get the deal. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they should have said that right to his face. Yo, Fab, thank you so much for coming through. Congratulations no on everything, and uh, and we'll see you very soon. Sounds good. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's the Real Jeff. If people want to find out more about us, we're It's the Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's the Real, and we've done over 150 episodes. If people want to find out where they can go get their tickets for our big show on January 10th, 2018 at SOBs, our live podcast from that stage. Jeff, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com. Go buy your tickets today. They are there waiting for you. And I say tickets with an S because, you know, buy a couple. Because it'd be super. Yeah. If you want to listen to any of our old episodes or even our upcoming episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. We are also on iTunes. Search for a waste of time with It's The Real. We are on Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real, Snapchat we are It's It's The Real, and on Twitch we are It's The Real, It's The Real, because It's The Real was taken. But we haven't even used Twitch yet. That's my biggest problem with that. We just are holding this down in case anybody is looking to take our name, right? We are on Twitch because if you guys want us to play video games, we're not going to, but we can live stream. That's what we're going to do? What? We're going to be on there and talk about how we don't want to play video games. Do you want to do that live at SOBs on January 10th? Not play videos? Oh, yeah, no. Play video games. We should play video games. That's a good idea. All right. So, guys. Video games with Jay-Z and us. You Maybe. Maybe. You know that this podcast isn't going anywhere unless you start spreading the word. And hey, spread the word. Tell people about A Waste of Time with It's The Real. The content is too good for it just to be your little secret. So, tell all your friends, family, and fans out there. We know it starts with us. Jeff, who would you like to shout? I want to shout out Dan of Steel 007 out in the UK who just watched our interview with DJ Semtex and said this is possibly one of the most insightful interviews people should see. Hey, go to youtube.com slash it's the real and watch that video. Watch the Rockefeller video. Watch all of our videos. youtube.com slash it's the real Jeff I want to shout out a bunch of friends that I saw last night at the brownies party at the Ace Hotel which is one of our favorite parties that we like to go to every month shout out to Ayana and Brianna shout out to Loki and Della and Cam and everybody that we were hanging Dwayne a whole bunch of people that we were hanging out with oh my god a ton of people out there who we love congregating with partying on the dance floor Uh, Chris Stiles just a whole lot of good people and especially Scotty Beam who was hosting it Diani is the best and she always looks out for your boys it's the real not for real for real sure sure we'll see you guys tomorrow can you believe it this episode of the 12 days of podcast has been sponsored by the good people of def jam who have dropped Jeezy's pressure on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, and on JeezyShop.com. Go visit JeezyShop.com today to listen to This Is It, 
track five, my favorite track on the album, aside from, obviously, American Dream with J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar, which everybody loves because J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar are on it, but also because it's a great song. Anyway, tomorrow's episode is day six of the 12 Days of Podcast. We are coming back with OT Genesis.